Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Ishmael Kawaja. Hello, hope you're doing well. It's Wednesday, the 1st of March. Thanks for downloading today's podcast. We're going to start with our most read story on our website. Plans to build a new road bridge over the A249 as part of the Stockbury roundabout improvements have been scrapped and replaced with a footbridge instead. People living in the village fear it will be cut in half by the £92 million project of Junction 5 of the M2 and wanted a flyover for vehicles. Well, to talk more about this. I'm joined by our reporter John Nerden who wrote this story. So John, why are residents so upset? Well there are two main issues here. Uh, First is that the A249 has always effectively cut through the parish of Stockbury. Uh, The second is that with the £92 million flyover which is being built, traffic heading from uh, Sittingbourne to Maidstone will probably be driving a lot faster than than it is at the moment, uh, which will make it more difficult and dangerous for villagers to emerge from the side road, Church Hill, onto a a busy dual carriageway. The chair of Stockbury Parish Council, Phil Woods, seems to be leading the protest. What's he had to say? Councillor Woods is uh, not a happy man, uh, certainly after National Highways threw out plans for the the road bridge. Now he's particularly concerned and worried about the safety of of the new junction. He reckons that uh, there will be accidents there, possibly uh, deaths as well. And he's told me, he said, uh, National Highways will probably write off the first disaster as unfortunate, the second as a coincidence. And he says only then, on the third time, will people actually sit up, take notice and see that something has to be done. And we're still waiting for a response from National Highways, but is there a sense of why they've decided to pursue this plan? Well, I think it all comes down to uh, to money. There are only 691 people registered uh, living in, in Stockbury and £16 million for a, a road bridge is a, a lot of money. Now, the footbridge that National Highways are suggesting is somewhere nearer the, the M2 and it's not totally obvious uh, exactly what it's for and what the benefit will be. Um, Councillor Wood says hardly anyone uh, from the village will even use it. He says it's, uh, it, it, it's going to be a footbridge from nowhere to nowhere. So should we expect more backlash from locals if National Highways do indeed go ahead with this? Well, to be honest, the villagers seem to have accepted that they have lost this particular battle, but knowing Stockbury, they won't give up the fight. Thanks for those details, John. Kent Online reports. Our other top stories today. A tribunal's found a Kent teacher who was sacked for restraining a violent schoolgirl was unfairly dismissed. Clive Kitchener was assistant principal at Goodwin Academy in Deal when he was attacked by the student in October 2021. He lost his job after academy bosses decided he used unnecessary force. But an employment judge has found he hadn't been given the proper training to deal with the situation. The school insists improvements have since been made. A woman who was arrested in the communal area of a block of flats where she lives in Gravesend was found to have a six-inch knife in her bag. Police have been called to Baltic Wharf on Clifton Marine Parade following reports Tracy Monday had assaulted her partner. The 54-year-old claimed to be carrying the weapon for protection. She's been given a 12-month community order and fined £20. A Dover nightclub is going to have its licence reviewed after reports of fights just months after it was allowed to stay open even later. Police investigating allegations of violence at Attic Bar on Church Street in December and January. The club opened in July 2021 and last November was given permission to open until 3 in the morning on Thursdays and 4 on Fridays and Saturdays. 
How a picture of a drag queen performing at Canterbury Pride has been vandalised in what's feared could be a targeted attack. The mural on the window of the former Debenham store was ripped down and torn up. Other images weren't touched. Daniel Smith identifies as queer and says he's seen the good and bad in the city. He's been chatting to reporter Bartholomew Hall from our sister station KMTV. I think when looking at incidents like this, it's important to look at it all in the national discourse. I imagine viewers at home will be seeing it as just a mural that's been vandalised. But like you mentioned, this is the second time it's happened. There are several other murals along the same path. And the only one that's relating to sort of queer pride has been vandalised. I mean, the week before this incident, I was attending a mural just down the street for Brianna Gay. A couple of months before that, I remember walking down Canterbury High Street and being harassed because I was presenting as genderqueer. And a couple of months before that, I was marching down Canterbury High Street for Canterbury Pride and shouting chants such as protect trans kids, trans rights and human rights. So I feel like living in Canterbury, I've seen a full spectrum of sort of trans joy and then trans hurt and trans pain. And the issues that we face as a community are becoming ever more glaring as time goes on. Do you think that a, a sort of act of vandalism like this reflects the whole of Canterbury? You talk of you know the, the joy that you feel. What, 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 what's your relationship with Canterbury as a city? I don't, I, well I would like not to think that it re represents all of Canterbury. I have so many wonderful trans and non-binary queer friends in Canterbury and truth be told, Canterbury, when I moved to Canterbury for university, it's really where I found myself as a queer person. You spoke about you, you've experienced some of your own um, problems yeah. here in Canterbury. T tell me a bit more about that if, if, if you don't mind. How, how sort of frequent is that? I know you work quite late at night. Yeah. What's that like? So the incident where I was harassed in Canterbury, I was um, walking home from Hastings Pride. I was with a friend of mine and I was wearing a dress and it had the words protect trans kids on the back. And then a group of um, teenage girls, probably I wouldn't imagine about more like 14 or 15, they noticed the words trans on my, on the back of the dress that I was wearing and they immediately sort of like picked up on that and started following me and my friend down the high street and shouting all sorts of horrible slurs at us and sort of even death threats at some point and the thing is i've been out as a queer person for eight years since i was like 11 years old i went to an all-boys school i've heard it all before but it does weigh heavy on my mind that as things are progressively getting worse for LGBTQ plus people in the UK, it, part of me does wonder how much of our national discourse is feeding into violence like that. The organiser of Canterbury Pride, the biggest festival celebrating the LGBT plus community in Kent, says the sight of the ripped up vinyl sends a chilling message to those walking through the area. But director John Fitterharding isn't letting it get to him. I think it makes us more determined. I think it actually answers a question that we're faced with every year um, when we read things online and on, on comments. Uh, why do you need a Pride? Do we still need a Pride? Clearly we do. Clearly there are people out there that still don't feel uh, we have a place in society maybe, um, they don't like the community, I don't, I don't know why, what led someone to do it, but we obviously there's still work to be done, um, I'm still very proud of the event and what we 
put on in the city and it can only happen because we get the support of the city. So the fact that our pride has grown from 4,000 people to 30,000 people goes to show actually it's welcome here um, and the community's welcome here as well. And um, I mean, some people might say it, it's just a poster. I mean, it was the only poster on that street that's been attacked in the way. Some of them are pine glass, of course. Yeah. But of the ones that are in the front, it's the only one. It is the only one. Um, and, you know, it, pieces of being, were ripped off, screwed up, and they weren't just thrown on the floor. They were, you know, the faces were covered, um, details about the event were covered up as well. So there was, a, I, feel, I feel, there was a deliberate attempt to um, put a dampener on it and, and to hide that what was being displayed. Police have told the Kent Online podcast they're aware of what's happened and are investigating. Kent Online News. Elsewhere, a woman's been taken to hospital following a crash near Maidstone. Three cars collided on the A229 at Bluebell Hill, causing long delays during the morning rush. One of the drivers suffered a neck injury. Firefighters have been called to a suspected arson attack at a derelict building in Ashford. Paper and cardboard is thought to have been set alight on Tannery Lane last night. Two fire engines were sent to the scene and managed to put out the blaze. It's being treated as suspicious. People living near an abandoned community hall in Dimchurch have welcomed plans to knock it down and build holiday homes. Residents say Bowery Hall has become a health hazard and eyesore and needs demolishing. It's hoped the site will eventually be home to four Airbnb properties. Next up, the head of the Kent Wildlife Trust says it's not clear which direction the government's heading to achieve certain environmental targets. Chief Exec Evan Bowen-Jones has been giving evidence to MPs about the importance of species reintroduction. He reckons it's key to boosting biodiversity and tackling climate change. The government has a number of commitments, national and international, on um, biodiversity, climate. Uh, it's now got, 20, it's got a 25-year environment plan. Uh, it now has uh, targets that have just been put in place for um, restoring biological abundance. All of those things, to one extent or another, actually depend upon reintroducing certain key species, uh, particularly the keystone species, as we call them, or the ecosystem engineers, depending on how you want to phrase it, that can actually help restore natural processes, nat uh, better, more complicated habitats, um, basically do the work that humans are not very good at doing within a sort of conservation context, so that we end up with more climate-resilient landscapes, um, which have better adaptation as the climate changes, knowing that now we're at 1.2 degrees and we're heading towards 1.5 within the decade, um, that provide the complexity, which means there are niches for lots of other species, and create the conditions for things like translocation of other species or movement of those species as the climate shifts. So... We see species reintroductions in their various forms as fundamental mechanisms for achieving all of these other governmental targets, some of which are legally binding, uh, at pace, um, because we know if we don't get these things going now properly, then it'll be too late in many cases, particularly around the climate targets. You know, we've got a very limited time frame for reaching net zero. Um, and so um, I think effectively this is underappreciated as a mechanism that should be mainstreamed through various other bits of policy and law um, to deliver these higher ambitions. Well, the Wild at Blaine project near Canterbury, which is seeing the reintroduction of bison into woodland here in the county, is aiming to do this. 
Campaigners say the White Cliffs of Dover are being replaced by orange plastics after finding piles of rubbish, including bottles of urine. Anti-litter group Clean Up Britain came across it during a tidy up of a grass bank. Footage, which you can see at Kent Online, also shows tissues, fast food containers and carrier bags dumped in a long line. We've asked the National Trust for a comment. A mobile home that appeared on a clifftop in Thanet is now due to be removed following a legal battle. The owner of the unit has been told to remove it from next to Westgate Pavilion and pay the council more than £4,000 in costs. It's been there since May last year, with the owner claiming to have bought the land. Head to our website to see pictures. Now, one of Kent's Tory MPs has criticised charities that speak out against the government. South Thanet rep Craig McKinley has been leading a debate in Parliament about the transparency of funding in the charity sector. My fear is that too many charities often financed with vast government, i.e. taxpayer-supported grants, uh, and running into multiple billions on an annual basis, are straying into the political arena. And I think that's particularly true currently of many charities in the refugee immigration sphere. The British Refugee Council receives £7.5 in government grants and contracts, and that's close to half of its revenue. And yet I find that it is these self-same charities and, and, and uh, many more who will put up commentators to attack the government, and I face them regularly on the media, and in some cases to take the government to court uh, on various migration issues, particularly the Rwanda situation. Care for Calais and Detention Action have got themselves involved in those activities. Now, whilst many charities take care not to suggest who people should vote for, and hence have not come to the notice of the Electoral Commission. I have to declare I'm a member of the Speaker's Committee on the Electoral Commission. The activities of many of these charities are by negative influence or inference, hinting that a vote should not be for the government in power. Now, I think there is an increasing case for the Electoral Commission to look more closely at the activities and pronouncements of many of these charities, not just on the issue of asylum and immigration, but a wider field, where there is an obvious straying into politics. He also mentioned the Trussell Trust, which runs food banks across the county and has previously urged the government to do more to tackle the cost of living crisis. He's described some emails to supporters as political campaigning. It's been confirmed that the popular annual fireworks event in Gillingham has been scrapped. Council bosses say the decision will save £40,000 as they look to balance the books. The free event at the Great Lines Heritage Park attracted thousands of people, but had to be cancelled at short notice last year because of bad weather. A sitting wall man who was caught illegally transporting waste has been ordered to pay almost £1,000 in fines and costs. He was stopped while carrying scrap metal on Swan Street Avenue and couldn't produce a licence. He tried to tell a court someone else was impersonating him, but body cam footage proved that that wasn't the case. Thousands of children across the county will be finding out today what secondary school they'll be going to in September. Parents were able to name up to four preferred choices. Emails will be sent confirming which one their child has got into. Well, Graeme Jones is an education specialist at Whitehead Moncton Solicitors in Maidstone and has this advice if you didn't get your first choice. You have to accept that the school you put in first place may not be the one you actually get into. So you need to take all reasonable steps. So what KCC says, do accept the school you're offered, because if you then get another school on appeal, you can then drop that place. But you must make sure that your child has a place. Go and visit the school that you've been offered. It might not be, oh, I don't want to use the phrase as bad, it might not be what you thought it was with regards to problems. So do check it out. 
But the important thing is support your child because the transition from primary to secondary is a huge jump for a child. Lots of children will have been in very small primaries where they've been in the same classroom with the same teacher for all day. And they're going into an environment in a much, much bigger school where they're moving from class to class to for each subject. Obviously, we there, we we all know of schools with good reputations and those with perhaps not so good reputations. Do you see little pockets around the county of where certain schools get oversubscribed and perhaps that can cause a little bit of a problem more than other areas? Well, parents do their research these days. They will use the local grapevine to find out what parents think about popular schools. But they also look at Ofsted reports. And of course, any school that comes out as outstanding with Ofsted is clearly going to be popular. But it's not a recognised ground for appeal. If you're allocated a school that is good or even requires improvement and you decide to appeal to another school on your list that was outstanding, that's not a criteria that an appeal panel would take into account for offering you a place. All schools are striving um, for outstanding, um, but it's sometimes a, a, a long journey for them. But just because a school is good or even requires improvement does not mean it's a problem school. And of course, parents have got until March the 15th to accept a place, haven't they? But obviously appeals yes, take place after that. Yeah, well, you, you have to get your um, request in for an appeal. I'm just checking the take 28th of March. If you get your appeal in by the 28th of March, you will have it heard before the start of the next school year. Um, but yes, with accepting the place, you're right, that's by the 15th of March. And my advice is, except the place you've been offered, because at least there is a fallback position if your appeal is not successful. Meanwhile, you can get in touch on socials to let us know what your children are doing for World Book Day this week. It clashes with some teachers going on strike tomorrow, so while a number of schools have changed the day it's celebrated, others have cancelled dressing up. Some say it's to help parents out during the cost of living crisis, but others aren't happy. The event started in 1997 and sees youngsters given a token to get a book for just a pound. And a Maidstone business has missed out at the National Fish and Chip Awards. Lewis's Fish and Grill was named Best Newcomer three years ago and was up for the takeaway prize this time round. It was won by a chippy in Yorkshire. Kent Online Sports. Football and Gillingham's winning streak at Priestfield has come to an end after they lost to Bradford City. The Jills have managed to climb out of the League 2 relegation zone after being bought by a new American owner but were beaten 2-0 last night. Manager Neil Harris spoke to us after the match. I think it was a little bit of a wake-up call for us, wasn't it? That, that as great as we've done... We've competed like mad in every game and, and, and just come out on top in, in in most of them in the small details. And today, just the goals are really poor. And they thought I thought Bradford were were better than us tonight. I thought they looked like a team that's that's set that's um, recruited well over a few windows. And um, they, they just, the key moments they, they they just had that little bit more composure than us. I think. Um, and we said that the first half, I thought maybe we were slightly better. In, in open play um, but we can see the really poor goal you know fullback can't get done with the back stick and a goal like that and then and then just when we w- want to get going second half we we shoot ourselves in the foot and and Andy Cook is by far the best striker I've seen this season in this division and, and um, we, yeah, we just we just ain't give it to him on a plate really the centre rafts have got to do better for me so two poor goals um, but we didn't really test their goalkeeper um, and and Glenn's had a mad cut the save, so I can't I can't complain. Them, so. Look, if you, if you can't win games by by you know, creating the chances, then don't at least don't don't give the, the opposition a leg up by giving poor goals away. Um, I, I know it's the level, and that's League Two, and, and you know a lot of goals are poor goals, 
at least make them work for the goals. We, we, we did make them work. The first goal, like, you know, he's, he's, he's poor defensively, and the second one, you know, he's, he's just there, and Max has just got to, got to deal with the ball sensibly, and um, and then he gives himself a mountain to climb. You know, five minutes into the second half, um, we tried to build momentum. We tried to carry that from Saturday's positive performance and result. Um, don't think the referee particularly helped us tonight. I've got to be honest in, in the momentum stakes, um, but that, again, that's league two officiating. Isn't it? I was quite cutting on my players. I've got to be honest. Today, I, I did have a few choice words from my players after the game. Um, uh, we have set better standards than we showed today with and without the ball. We've had better habits on the pitch in the last last eight games. Today, we didn't reach those levels, so I've left the players in no uncertain terms what I expect. Um, but then I've quickly said to them as well, they have been great for me. They've done great. And I've had my say, it's now gone. Uh, I won't forget tonight's performance in a hurry. I will not forget it, but I'll put it to one side and we'll focus on Saturday. And now, tonight's gone and the move on to Saturday, we've got a massive game ahead of it. The 20th in the table and still seven points above the drop zone. As Neil mentioned, Gillingham travelled to take on Harrogate Town this weekend. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also get updates of the top stories direct to your email each morning with the briefing. To sign up, just head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.